Welcome. Thank you for listening. We're currently working our way through the book of Joshua, celebrating the God who keeps every promise he has ever made. If you're in the Milwaukee area and you're looking for a church home, we'd love to meet you. You can connect with us more through our website, harvestcommunity.org. Would you stay standing for the reading of God's word? We continue in Joshua this morning, all of chapter three, because it's one story. Joshua rose early in the morning and he and all the sons of Israel set out from Shittim and came to the Jordan and they lodged there before they crossed. At the end of three days, the officers went through the midst of the camp. They commanded the people saying, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord, your God with the Levitical priest carrying it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. However, there shall be between you and it a distance of about 2000 cubits by measure Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua spoke to the priests, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over ahead of the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went ahead of the people. Now the Lord said to Joshua, this day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel that they may know that just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. You shall moreover command the priests who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant saying, when you come to the edge of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. Then Joshua said to the sons of Israel, come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. Joshua said, by this, you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will assuredly dispossess from before you the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Hivite, the Perizzite, the Girgashite, the Amorite, and the Jebusite. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over ahead of you into the Jordan. Now then take for yourselves 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one man for each tribe. It shall come about when the soles of the feet of the priests who carry the ark of the Lord The Lord of all the earth rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan will be cut off and the waters which are flowing down from above will stand in one heap. So when the people set out from their tents to cross the Jordan with the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and when those who carry the Ark came into the Jordan and the feet of the priests carrying the Ark were dipped into the edge of the water for the Jordan overflows all its banks, all the days of harvest The waters which were flowing down from above stood and rose in one heap, a great distance away from Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan. And those which were flowing down toward the sea of the Arabah, the salt sea, which completely cut off. So the people crossed opposite Jericho. And the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground, in the middle of the Jordan, while all Israel crossed on dry ground until all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You can be seated. Good morning. You know, my my friend Paul Clark was supposed to be doing worship this morning, and uh, also this weekend, the concert. um, 
He had to postpone the concert, and he said he will be back. Uh, but his son is in the hospital. His son's name is Joel. And Paul has to uh, look over his, uh, watch over his grandkids. And so if you don't mind, I'm just going to pray for Paul and Joel right now. And Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for who you are. I thank you, Lord, that uh, there is no distance uh, that we have to worry about in prayer, but you hear our prayers. And I I pray for Joel, Lord, that you would touch his body, that you would uh, raise him up from this illness that has suddenly come upon him. I also pray that you would be with Paul and help him as he watches his grandkids. And Father, while thinking about it, I, I think of another man named Paul. Paul Imp, who went to be with you last week, and I pray that you'd bring comfort to his family. I pray, Lord, that uh, you would be with his wife and and your peace would reign there. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so um, there's been a movie that's been mentioned, and there you go, uh, uh, the last few weeks. How many have seen the movie Jesus Revolution? Well, praise the Lord. Um, One of the main people in this movie is Pastor Chuck Smith. Now, Chuck was Kim and I's pastor for 17 years before we moved to Wisconsin. So as an eyewitness and a participant in the Jesus Revolution, I can say that 95% of of what you saw in the movie is exactly how it happened. For those who have not seen the movie, it's a documentary about the 1970s uh, Jesus movement where countless young people in Southern California and all over the world, many of them hippies, start coming to Christ. My friend Paul was one of them, and uh, so was my wife Kim. She was one, and hey, so was I. <laughs> I know you guys would love that. Uh, and, <laughs> and yes, we did own a VW bus. Right. This one, this one, this picture was named Spotty because of the spots on it. Um, and we also had a 61 microbus, which was called Matilda. And boy, I wish I had that one today, huh? Um, so uh, on me and Kim's first hike together, Kim brought her Bible. And uh, it's being held by her sister Dana right there. And I being half Japanese, I was born in Japan, I brought my camera, right? Okay, and, uh, and here we're doing, if you've seen the movie, you saw this, right? One way, one way to heaven. All three of us are still on that narrow one way. All right. So this year, this year, 2023, is a landmark year for Kim and me because it marks our 50-year relationship with Christ. This day in particular, October 8th, is my 50th spiritual birthday. And so let me tell you what happened on October 8th, 1973. It started out like every other day, just another beautiful, sunny Southern California day. I was 18 years old, and that Monday evening, I went to a friend's home just to hang out. For some reason, I needed to be around someone. Uh, But my friend John wasn't home, so I went to another friend's home, but he was gone also. I started going from house to house in uh, in this little city called Buena Park, um, and then ended up in a city named La Mirada. I was just searching for a friend, any friend who was home, and after many hours, I ran out of places to go. 
And there I was in my truck all alone. It suddenly dawned on me that uh, there was a lady, an older lady, she was like 30, you know, <laughs> and, uh, named Robbie, who lived close to where I was. It, at this time, it was just after 9 p.m. I knew Robbie from a church I'd visited on and off a few times uh, in the last two years. I was not raised in a Christian home. I was raised to be a moral person, but I wasn't a moral person. Um, and even though in the past, during this Jesus movement, uh, I made a profession of faith, and many times with tears, I still had not surrendered my life to Christ. I never stopped my sinful life. I was just this major hypocrite. Well, getting back to that Monday evening, when Robbie answered the door, and I don't blame her, she said, Jim, what are you doing here? Right? Uh, I told her of my search for a friend for the last few hours, and I ended up at her home. She then said, well, you know what's happening, don't you? Well, now, before this moment, I had no idea what was happening, but at that very second, I did, and I said, yes, the Lord is calling me. And then she says, well, you know what you have to do, don't you? And just another clearest bell answer came to my mind, and I said, yes, I have to surrender my whole life to Christ. Now, I was ready to get down on my knees uh, and recite another sinner's prayer. We've all read those and seen those, much like I had done a few times in the past. But instead, she said, I want you to go see Jay. I'll give him a call and tell him you're coming. And with that, she closed the door. <laughs> so, um, so I left. Jay was an elder at the church that I had visited a couple times, and it took me about 15 minutes or so to get to Jay's home. When I arrived, his porch light comes on, and he's there smiling just as this saint could. And Jay told me, he said, Robbie had called him and asked me to come in. We kneeled at his couch, and he prayed for me. I don't ever remember saying anything, but I do remember that within my heart I was saying, here is my life. Take it. I'm giving it all to you. I'll try not to get <clears throat> a little emotional here. But when I got up from that couch, there were no tears. There were no shouts of joy. Just a quick hug from Jay, and I left. But something happened, right? I walked to my truck as a brand new person. The term born again is used so freely today, and it was back then. Another term that was used in those days, and you guys have probably heard it, it was Jesus freak, right? Uh, we used to say that Jesus did not make freaks out of people, but people out of freaks, and that was about the depth of our apologetics at that time, but um, anyway. Uh, but I knew what had happened to me. I was born again. 2 Corinthians 5.17 explains it best that, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, everything is new. I started that evening so long ago looking for a friend, and I found the greatest friend that anyone could ever find, Jesus Christ. In John 15, 13 through 14, Jesus says, Greater love has no man than this, than a man laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Christ gave his life for me because there was no way that I or anyone in the world could be good enough to deserve God's love. 
Every one of us has sinned. The other day I was watching a, a video on YouTube where a man named Ray Comfort was speaking to a bunch of people on the beach. And uh, all these people said that they were pretty good people. You know, they weren't sinners. They were, they were, they were good. Uh, and so Ray asked them, you know, about one of the commandments of God. Have you ever lied? And they said, well, yeah, I've lied. Everyone's lied. And so Ray says, well, what does that make you? And then the, the guy goes, well, I, I guess a liar, you know. And then Ray asked him if he ever blasphemed. You know, have you ever taken the Lord's name in vain? That's another commandment that God says you shouldn't do. And again, they admitted that they had done that quite a few times. And once more, Ray asked him, what does that make them? And, then, and the guy goes, well, I, a blasphemer. And Ray goes, no, you're a lying blasphemer, right? And he goes on and on, but I, you know, I'll, I'll kind of like stop it right there. But I just wanted us to admit that all of us are sinners. All of us fall short of what a holy God requires. The good news is that there's hope. There's hope in Christ. In Romans 5, 6, and 8, the Bible says that for while we were still weak... At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good one, one would even dare to die. But God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I started this adventure 50 years ago as a normal human being. All my faults, all my um, issues that every one of us had, uh, I've made many mistakes. I've, I've fell more than once. But as each day passes, I hope I'm a little more like Christ. Thank you for listening to my story. I look forward to one day hearing yours. And uh, now I have a sermon to preach. And so this is a long chapter. You heard it. Uh, um, my pastor, Chuck Smith, this is not in my notes here, my pastor, Chuck Smith, used to say, uh, the seat can only bear what the heart, you know, or the heart can only receive what the seat is able to bear, so this won't be too long. Well, maybe, maybe not as long as it should be, but anyway, I have the sermon to preach. Let's turn to Joshua chapter 3, and the title of this, morning is, uh, this morning's sermon is Never Alone, and it's broken into three parts. The first part is waiting, and that'll be uh, verse 1 of chapter 3. The second part will be listening, and that uh, is verses 2 through 13. And the last part will be acting, verses 13 through 17. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, most people listening to this message have a story about how they came to you. Some of it is very dramatic and very dynamic. For others, it's quite sublime, perhaps even very gradual. Yet they have heeded your call. They have said yes to Christ. And so as we look to Joshua chapter 3 this morning, help us to understand it. Help us to apply it. Apply what we learn fully to our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so waiting. Let's read verse 1. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and he and all the sons of Israel set out from Shittim and came to the Jordan, where they lodged, and they lodged there before they crossed. 
40 years earlier in Deuteronomy 13 and 14, Moses sent 12 spies into Canaan to investigate uh, what the land and the people were like. The land was just as God had told them, a land flowing with milk and honey. And when the spies returned, they said, yeah, it's just like God told Moses. But there are many people there, and some of them were giants. Ten of the spies told the people that they should not go in, but two, Caleb and Joshua, urged the people to enter in because the Lord would deliver them. And uh, However, the people refused to listen uh, to Caleb and Joshua, and they listened to the ten spies instead. Uh, these ten spies who gave a bad report and they refused to enter the promised land. God then said that all those who were 20 years of age or older would die in the wilderness and the children would be the ones, their children would be the ones who would enter Canaan and take it as a possession. These children, now adults, were the ones that Joshua was about to cross the Jordan with and enter Canaan. According to Deuteronomy 34, the people were in the plains of Moab below Mount Nebo. Moses had gone up into the mountain so God could show him all the land that he was giving to the children of Israel. The Bible says that Moses was 120 years old and his eyes were not dim nor his vigor reduced. But now it was time for Moses to die and Moses was not coming down the mountain and he died there. Then God told Joshua that Moses was dead, and Israel mourned 30 days for Moses. Now Joshua brings the people to the Jordan River, and once there, they wait. Waiting on God before moving on is a very wise thing to do. Let's read Psalm 25, verses 1 through 5. To you, O Lord, I lift up my voice. O my God, in you I trust. Do not let me be ashamed. Do not let my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none of those who wait for you will be ashamed. Those who deal treacherously without cause will be ashamed. Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your past. Teach me your truth and teach me. I mean, sorry, lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you, I wait all the day. The Israelites' faithful leader, Moses, a man whom God spoke with face to face, who led them for the past 40 years, was gone. Now their new life was just on the other side of the Jordan River. Bringing them into this new life was their new leader, Joshua. Joshua was not an unknown person to them. He was constantly seen next to Moses. In Deuteronomy 34, Moses told the nation that Joshua was the one who would lead them into Canaan. A couple of weeks ago, Caleb told us that the the people accepted Joshua's leadership role when they said to Joshua, uh, all that you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Here in chapter 3, we're still in that three-day waiting period mentioned in chapter 1. A lot has happened during these three days. 
No doubt Joshua is seeking the Lord, and the Lord is giving him instructions in how uh, this crossing is going to take place. And that brings us to part two of this message, point two, and that's listening. This part of the, the sermon is the longest part of the message because it contains five subsections of speech containing messages, instructions, and encouragement. All this is prior to the actual crossing of the river Jordan. The first subsection is uh, the officers instruct the people. So let's read verses two through four. At the end of three days, the officers went through the midst of the camp and they commanded the people saying, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord, your God, with the Levitical priests carrying it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. However, there shall be between you and it a distance of, 2, 000, of about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Joshua had, instru- had received instructions from the Lord, and he instructed the officers, and these officers were most likely the leaders Caleb told us about a couple weeks ago. These were designated to organize the camp's departure. Once the Ark of the Covenant started off, the people were to keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits, uh, which is about 3,000 feet or about half a mile. The Ark of the Covenant was the most holy part of the tabernacle. On top of the Ark was called the mer- what was called the mercy seat, and that is where God's presence resided when the Ark was inside the wilderness tabernacle. I like what Bible scholar Warren Wiersbe says about this distance of 2,000 cubits. He said, But they were not to get too close to the ark, for this was a holy piece of furniture from the tabernacle, and it was not to be treated carelessly. God is our companion as we go through life, but we dare not treat him like a buddy. I think those are wise words. The second subsection uh, is in verse 5 where Joshua instructs the people. So let's read verse 5. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. The people were to wash their bodies, put on clean clothes as a symbol of being clean before God. We have similar instructions on how we should approach communion. Paul told the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 11, verses 27 through 30, uh, therefore, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the, or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in doing so, he is to eat the bread and drink the cup. For he who eats and drinks eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. As the Israelites were instructed to present themselves consecrated to the Lord, we should never take communion lightly. We're to remember that Jesus gave his body and shed his blood for the remission of our sins. He said to do this in remembrance of him. Now, in this third subsection that we're coming to, we have the instructions for the priests who are carrying the ark. So let's read verse 6. And Joshua spoke to the priests, saying, Take up the ark of the covenant and cross over ahead of the people. So they took up the ark of the covenant and went ahead of the people. 
The people were instructed by the officers. Then the people were instructed by Joshua. And now Joshua instructs the priest to take up the ark and go. During the prior 40 years of wandering, there was constant complaining from the people who came out of Egypt. Now all those complainers had perished in the wilderness, and it was time for a new generation of Israelites to enter the promised land. So having been instructed by Joshua, the priests started toward the Jordan River. Now it was time for some final encouragement from the Lord while the priests were heading towards the river, a river that was impassable for the priests carrying the ark and for the nation following it. So this fourth subsection of point two is where the Lord encourages Joshua. Let's read verses seven and eight. Now the Lord said to Joshua, this day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. You shall moreover command the priests who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant, saying, when you come to the edge of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. Now, I'm sure there's not a single person here who does not appreciate encouragement. Encouragement is much more than someone cheering you on. It's a word timely spoken. Solomon said this in Proverbs 25:11, Like apples of gold in settings of silver is a word spoken in the right circumstances. Joshua had served Moses for 40 years. He was an eyewitness to the miracles of God uh, that, he, that God had done through Moses. He was now faced with this great task of leading the nation of Israel into the promised land. A land whose strength he was familiar with when he spied out the land 40 years earlier. God knew that Joshua needed further encouragement this time. And, so, and this is not the first time that, that God has encouraged Joshua. In Joshua 1.5, we read, No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. But the words here in this verse, uh, 3-7, are slightly different. It says, Now the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the, in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. God is encouraging Joshua by telling him that the people will know that the Lord is with Joshua in the same manner the Lord was with Moses. An encouragement from, from the Lord would lift our spirits, right? We get encouraged by the promises and examples we see in the Bible. We also get great encouragement from our friends, our spouses, our parents, and sometimes from those we hardly know. One more thing that encouragement can do, the Bible says that encouragement can keep us from sin. We may be tempted to fall into sin because we think that no one really cares about us or the circumstances that are in our lives. We may be tempted by our own lust. The writer of Hebrews says it plainly in Hebrews 3, 12 and 13. Uh, the writer says, take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that, fall, <clears throat> that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is called today, so that none of you will, will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. 
Do you remember Proverbs 25, 11? Like apples of gold in settings of silver is a word rightly spoken in right circumstances. A word spoken in the right circumstances can encourage a fellow believer and keep them from falling into the temptation of sin. So husbands, encourage your wives. Wife. (laughs) Sorry, only one wife. (laughs) Wives, encourage your husband. Uh, Parents, encourage your children, right? Everyone encourage one another day after day, as long as it is called today, right? While we're on the subject of encouragement, we come to the fifth and final section of point number two, where Joshua encourages the people and he instructs them. So let's read verses nine through 10 and see how Joshua uh, reacts to God's encouragement and (coughs) encouragement. So let's go to uh, nine and 10. Let's read verses nine and 10. Then Joshua said to the sons of Israel, come hear the words of the Lord your God. Joshua said, by this you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will assuredly dispossess from before you the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Hivite, the Perizzite, the Girgashite, the Amorite, and the Jebusite. Joshua encourages the people by telling them four things. First, come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. The God of the Israelites is a living God, and he communicates with them. Second, they will have the assurance that this living God, that the living God is with them when they take the land from the idolatrous people currently inhabiting the land. Third, the people groups are named. And God said that he would, without fail, drive them out from before the nation of Israel. And fourth, that, that God would dispossess the nations from the land. He would drive them out of Israel. Israel was to march into battle, but God would give them the victory. He is keeping his promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So after encouraging him, them... Joshua now instructs the people, and so let's read this, these instructions in verses 11 through 13. He says, Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over ahead of you into the Jordan. Excuse me. Uh, now then, take for yourselves 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one man from each tribe. It shall come about that when the soles of the feet of the priest who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan will be cut off and the waters which are flowing down from above will stand in one heap. So this is different uh, from the parting of the waters of the Red Sea. In Exodus 14, the people had to stand by and see the salvation of the Lord. Here in Joshua, the priests had to actually walk into the river. And it wasn't until all the priests were in the river carrying the ark uh, that the miracle happened. It's like it's a step of faith, right? So here is another quote from Warren Wiersbe, where he notes the difference between the two uh, miracles, the one, the Red Sea and the Jordan River. When Moses lifted his rod, the wind began to blow. And when he lowered the rod, the waters flowed back and drowned the Egyptian army. When Israel crossed the Jordan River, it was not the arm of the leader that brought the miracle, but the obedient feet of the people. So obedience uh, brings us to our final point, point three. 
which is named acting, and it's verses 14 through 17. So let's read 14 and 15. So when the people set out from their tents to cross the Jordan with the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant uh, before the people, and when those who carried the Ark came into the Jordan and the feet of the priests carrying the Ark were were dipped in the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all its banks all the days of harvest. So this is acting now. The children of Israel are no longer waiting. They've been encouraged. They've received their instructions. Now they have to act on God's instructions. The writer makes it clear so that everyone knows that the water was overflowing the banks at this time, which means it was not only wider, but it was also deeper and swifter. Do you remember the account of the two spies who crossed the Jordan? Uh, the Jordan River was not impossible to cross for two able-bodied men. However, it would be impossible for the whole nation to cross, including children, carts, and animals. I want to share a few pictures of the fastest river in the United States. It's called the Kern River, and it's in central California. Uh, here's a photo of it during low times. It starts out at Mount Whitney, which is 14,494 feet high, and it flows down and drops suddenly into the Kern Valley, um, which is in the southern Sierras. So, <clears throat> as you heard in my last sermon, I was a scoutmaster for a Boy Scout camp at our church in California. I have a lot of Boy Scout stories. Uh, I, you know, young men, boys can give you that, right? Well, once a year, the scouts would have a family river rafting trip on the Kern River. And here is the same Kern River uh, during flood stage with class three or four rapids. Okay. Quite a bit different, isn't it? Well, <clears throat> I don't think even exper an experienced person could cross the river at this point. There are lots of class four rapids that day. And this picture makes me think about how people react when they're called by the Lord to do something during difficult things. And so are they serious, like our friends here, the seltzers, um, keeping their heads down, concentrating on the instructions from the guide? You know, that's a good way to do things. Just go, you know, keep your heads down. Or perhaps they're excited, ah, like the renters here, right? <laughs> Kim and my, my oldest son, we're following the same instructions from the guide, but we're excited, waiting for the next set of rapids. Either way, we made it all down the river safely, and, uh, but we did do it rather rapidly, but anyway. Okay, so let's get back to the sermon. Um, let's read verse 16. Joshua 3.16, the waters which were flowing down from above stood and rose up in one heap a great distance away at Adam, the city <clears throat> that is beside Zarethan, and those which were flowing down toward the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off, so the people crossed opposite Jericho. So the Jordan River is normally about 100 feet wide, but at flood season, it's over a mile wide. Uh, on the upriver side, the water was piling up in a heap, and on the downriver side, well, there was no river, right? Uh, which means that there was plenty of room for the children of Israel, this whole nation, to cross quickly, even while staying 2,000 cubits away from the Ark of the Covenant. Now, besides the miracle of the water standing up in a heap, the ground was completely dry. Verse 17 reads, And the priest carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, 
who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan, and while all Israel crossed on dry ground until all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan. As we continue our journey through Joshua, this book of Joshua, we will weakly see that the main subject of this book is not Joshua at all, but the Lord himself. This morning we saw that it was the Lord, it was on the Lord that Joshua had been waiting for during those three days. It was the Lord giving instructions and encouragement, and it was the Lord's commands they were to follow. They obeyed the Lord, they entered the promised land, and it was the Lord who said he would be with Joshua always. God was never going to leave him. The same holds true for followers of Christ today. The Lord will never leave his children alone. Fellow believers in Christ, are you uncertain of your next steps? Well, first, wait on the Lord. Seek him through prayer and ask him for guidance through his word. Psalm 135 reads, I wait for the Lord. My soul does wait, and in his word do I hope. Second, listen for his instructions and his encouragement. How do we do that? One way is it to attend Sunday morning church, where we are all systematically taught through the Bible. But we need much more than a single day out of seven. As all of us need daily physical nourishment in the same manner, we all need daily spiritual nourishment. A few months ago, Caleb gave a sermon on Psalm 1, and I want to read the first three verses of that psalm to remind us the importance of God's word. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of the sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and, and, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does he prospers. And I also want to read a verse that's often a part of my messages, but 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17. All scripture is inspired by God. Remember, we learned that inspired means it's breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. And finally, when you get an instruction from the, from the Lord, it's time to act. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 to 14 says, Be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. So wait for the Lord, listen for his instructions, act on those instructions. Do these and you'll never be alone. For those of you that have not yet fully surrendered your life to Christ, I, I want to leave you with the same challenge, uh, but slightly different way. First, wait. Before you ignore Christ, pause for a second and consider your choice. Only Christ died for your sins. Only through him can you become a new creation. Two, Listen to the Holy Spirit as he is working on your heart. Jesus said in John 16, 8, that the Holy Spirit will convict you of sin, righteousness, and judgment. 
50 years ago today, the Holy Spirit was convincing, convicting my heart to confess my sin to the only one who could forgive it, and that's Jesus Christ. And three, act on God's calling. Surrender your old life to the only one who can give you a new life and forgive your sins. And for everyone here, believer or unbeliever, I want you to pay strict attention to what I'm going to say. You can wait and you can listen, but none of that does much good until you act. Don't let your waiting turn into lethargy or lack of interest. Don't be a hearer only so that the gospel and the word of God becomes just white noise in your life. Inaction brings failure, and so please don't fail. Just as the Lord was with Moses, just as the Lord was with Joshua, just as the Lord has been with me and Kim in these past 50 years, the Lord can be with you. Once he is with you, you will never be alone. So after the announcements this morning, there'll be elders, uh, members of the prayer team up here to pray with you. And as the worship team comes up, I want to just remain, <clears throat> I want us just to um, you know, listen to this final, final message in the song that the Lord has for us this morning. No matter how hard a battle gets, we are never alone. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, you had the Apostle Paul write to the Romans, do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves of obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you have become obedient from the heart to that form of teaching with which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. So thank you, Father, for setting us free from sin through your Son, Jesus Christ. Help us today and each day following to wait, to listen, and to act according to your will. In Jesus' name.